You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by BetDSI. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC 243 event, which takes place in Melbourne, Australia. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. Looking back at our last event, Kyle Marley's free bet on Miradov won, but he did take a heavy loss on his premium play, which was a, a max bet parlay. That being said, Kyle still has a long track record of success and has his bets and fantasy MMA picks available now on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Back to the present, UFC 243 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on UFC Fight Pass, ESPN2, and Pay-Per-View this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off is a Bantamweight contest between Khalid Taha, who is 13-2, and and Bruno Silva, who is 11-3-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Got to get my quick shout-outs here before we begin, of course, as always. Uh, first off, this time, I'd like to shout-out uh, the UFC On The Line team. I just recently, as many of you guys know, joined that crew, so I'll be doing a lot of the uh, pay-per-view shows with the UFC On The Line team that's available on UFC Fight Pass, so make sure you guys go to Fight Pass and check it out. It's a pretty good show that we did for UFC 243. And then also, as always, head over to BetDSI.eu. That's an official sportsbook sponsor of the Oddscast, and we're going to be quoting the updated lines from BetDSI. And then once again, make sure you head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com, click on our premium picks tab and check out Big Marley 3's plays. He's looking to bounce back. He did have a not so great weekend last weekend, but it happens, man. But the guy's still up over 250, 260 units uh, for the past 16 and a half months. One of the best cappers in the world, no doubt about it. Uh, he's looking to bounce back, and I think he will this weekend. He's got some great plays, and his DraftKings package is available as well. So make sure you check out MMAOddsBreaker.com, the premium picks tab, and you'll get your plays taken care of right there. Now, getting right into the fight, this is a good one to start things off. I mean, Taha opened up minus 265, the comeback on Silva at plus 185. And currently over at BetDSI, we are seeing Taha minus 238, the comeback on Silva at plus 192. Man, this is, again, like I said, a really good fight to start things off because both these guys like to throw. They like to stand and bang. Both these guys have speed, athleticism, power. Um, especially on the feet, of course, Taha coming off that devastating knockout win. I actually think that win over Boston Samuel actually got him a little bit overhyped in this spot. I mean, he's definitely a good fighter, a good striker, um, known for that knockout power, of course, and he's developing his overall game. But again, I think that was a little bit maybe too much respect at this point because he's facing Silva, which I think is going to be a very tough fight for Taha. I think Silva brings a lot to the table here. He's actually the more well-rounded fighter here. And on the feed, a lot of people expect Taha to blow him out. I think Silva could actually hang in there with him as well. He's again, has some speed, has some power. Uh, he could be a threat on the feed as well, has some spinning techniques. You, you can't take this guy lightly. He can also mix in some takedowns and he will have the ground advantage in this fight. So I think this is more of a coin flip type of fight, to be honest with you. And I agree with the early action dropping the line a little bit, but there are bets coming in both ways right now at the sports books and I think it'll continue to do so but as the fight 
starts and we're getting closer to start time, I should say, I think we're going to see this line continue to drop a little bit. So if you guys are going to take the dog here, hop in now, because I think it's going to probably close under two to one for Taha here. And I think there is some value on Silva. So it's a dog or pass situation. I'm actually going to pick Silva to win straight out because, again, I think he has more ways to win. I think he can win on the scorecards. I think he can actually possibly get a finish here um, against Taha as well. And Taha... Basically, his path to victory, he can always drop that bomb and knock you out uh, or I'll point you on the feet as well. He can win the decision there. But I just like this coin flip type of fight because I think the value does lie with Silva. I do think this fight will be competitive, but uh, what I really like about Taha is his physicality. Um, you know, this is a fighter that is uh, very strong, very powerful, and you don't see that as much in uh, the Bantamweight division. Uh, Taha's a guy... You know, he's about three inches taller. He's got a little bit of reach on Silva. He's, um, he's also going to be a guy that's fought up a weight class, uh, in, uh, like the featherweight division, while I think Silva can fight potentially at 125. So, uh, my main issue is that yes, Silva should have a, a slightly better ground game and Silva could be a little bit more dynamic with his striking, you know, throwing a few more flashy kicks. But uh, I don't think that Silva can overpower Taha, and that's really where uh, Taha's strength is coming to, into play here. Uh, you know, Taha being from Germany, uh, I, I just I just really like the, the the power he brings to the table, and I think that he's going to have uh, enough to overwhelm Silva. He might be able to to knock him out. So um, obviously, either guy could land a knockout with Silva being uh, you know the more diverse striker, but I think. Uh, Taha's hands are going to be real crisp in this fight. I think he connects. I think he takes Silva out. So Taha's going to be my pick. Dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Nadia Kasim, who is 5-1, taking on Ji Yeon Kim, who is 8-2. Two two. Now, Nick, what's your MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Kasim open minus 140, the comeback on Kim, even money. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Kim minus 175, the comeback on Kasim at plus 144. So needless to say, all the action early on came in on Kim. I think those of you guys that gobbled up the plus money and even the, you know, the slight chalk early on made a great bet because I think you're on the right track here. I mean, stylistically, I think this is a horrific matchup for Kasim. I think she could be competitive, and she's definitely improving. She's only had a couple fights so far in the UFC. Of course, she won over Alex Chambers in her debut, um, in which she was supposed to do. I mean, let's face it, Chambers was barely hanging on to her UFC career at that point, and it was kind of, I think, geared for her to get the win in her debut. But then reality struck a little bit when she faced De La Rosa, and she got outclassed by De La Rosa, especially on the ground there. Um, so now she's stepping up again. To the plate here against Kim, I think Kim outclasses her as well. I just think that Kasim's going to be a little bit better, and that's a thing for her. I think you're going to continue to see the improvement, especially right now since her career is a little bit accelerated, since she did come into the big stage with the UFC. I know she's putting in the work. She's taking everything a lot more serious, and I'm expecting some good changes and some positive um, additions to her game for sure. So I'm expecting this to be a fairly close fight, but I just think still Kim has a size advantage. She has the experience edge. I think she has a little bit of the power edge, especially on the feet. I think she can definitely close the gap, get inside and mark Kasim up. I'm not really too sold on Kasim's overall strike defense. Offensively, Kasim can mix things up okay. It's her kicking game that I'm a little bit more concerned about, um, I think, than her hands when it comes to this matchup here against Kim. I think Kim's boxing is going to trump that, though. And I think if this fight hits the ground, I 
I'm a little concerned. I think Kasim has been showing some life on the ground. Maybe she, she'll be able to pull off, you know, something off her back, but I doubt it. I think Kim's savvy enough. If she gets top position, she doesn't get caught up in a sub. And I think she could do some damage on the ground as well. So Kasim, probably the one that's going to look for the takedowns more so. Uh, but I think it's going to be Kim who ends up on top if this does go to the ground more times than not. So with all that said, I think honestly, Kim does more damage here throughout the fight. She might be able to get a finish over Kasim as it goes. If not, I think she wins on the scorecards. Might be a competitive type of fight, but I think at least 29-28, kind of a clear one for Kim. So I'm going to uh, go with Kim. And I wouldn't blame you guys if you threw her in the parlay as well. You know, Kasim's a fighter that when she made her debut, she, you know, entered with a little bit of hype. She'd finished some girls really quickly, but I think, uh, the, the strength of competition really did come into play because, uh, the second that fight went to the floor, she was dominated and, you know, she just does not have a fully well-rounded game. She does have some power on the feet. So, uh, you know, that will make this mildly competitive and Kim does pr- primarily like to, to stand and bang, but, uh, Kim can, can get in there and, and, and trade with people. Uh, and she has some serious physical advantages in this fight. Kim has uh, six inches in reach. She's two inches taller. And obviously she's, uh, fought, uh, you know, quite a bit more inside the octagon. And she's had some success at 125 pounds. Obviously at 135, that was a bit too much for her. But at 125, you know, she's, she's a bit of a threat. I mean, really her only loss has been to, the, the sister of the champion. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, Kim, as Nick mentioned, also should have an edge on the ground if it does go there. So, and, and why wouldn't she after seeing the vulnerabilities that Kasim, uh, showed in her debut? So, uh, I think Kim should be in relative control wherever this fight takes place. The only real area that she doesn't have the edge is maybe pure punching power. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to side with Kim. I think she either wins a decision or if it does go to the ground, maybe she can uh, take Kasim out. Now, moving on to the ESPN2 preliminary card, we have Megan Anderson, who is 9-3, and three, taking on uh, Zara Fern dos Santos, who is 6-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Anderson opened minus 300, the comeback on Farron, Dos Santos, plus 220. I'm going to go by Anderson and Farron for those of you guys, so shorten up Dos Santos a little bit. That said, this is a great fight. I mean, right now over at BetDSI, we are seeing Anderson coming in currently at minus 526, the comeback on Farron at plus 394. So line margins have tightened up a little bit and more action coming in Anderson's way. I know Anderson's had some shaky moments thus far in her UFC career. She's came in with a lot of hype. A lot of uh, people were expecting some great things. Um, had that crazy, quick, weird, strange, you know, head kick, eye poke victory over Kazangano. And that would have been a very telling fight, in my opinion, if that would have played out. But she did get the victory there. Outside of that, though, it's kind of been disappointing for her, um, especially that loss to Felicia Spencer. A lot of people didn't see that coming. But, I mean, now we can understand it. Spencer is definitely legit. Uh, we've got to see more of her, what she can do there. So that's not necessarily a bad loss. That said, again, Anderson has not lived up to expectations thus far in the UFC. But this time she's facing a fighter making her official UFC debut, and it's geared a little bit more towards her style. So I think that she's going to obviously have some success. Obviously, the betters do out there as well. That's why they steamed this up a little bit and are throwing her in parlays. 
Farron is a pretty solid fighter. I like what I see from her, honestly, but she's a striking base fighter more so than anything else. She has clean technique. She's fairly long for the weight class as well. Um, so there's going to be a lot of good things that she does bring to the table here. And I think she can have a little bit of success against Anderson, but I just think Anderson's going to be the bully here. I think Anderson's going to be more comfortable here. I think if anybody gets top position here, it'll probably be Anderson on the ground. She doesn't have to worry about Farron coming in here, looking to submit her. Um, Farron has had some decent reversals and you can see a little bit of life on the ground from her as well. I just think that she's not going to be able to get Anderson down in this spot here. And if she's not able to do that again, I think Anderson's going to be the bully. So I won't waste much more time on this. I think it is going to be an exciting fight. Uh, Farron is going to definitely hang in there and, and show us some good things, but ultimately I think it's Anderson getting it done. So my pick is Anderson and where the line is right now, though, I don't think there's any value left. And I'm right with you in terms of uh, Anderson. Um, I just think that she's going to be bigger, stronger, and it feels like the UFC is, setting this fight up with for Anderson to take on somebody that wants nothing to do with going to the ground. Um, so Farron is a, a pretty solid striker. So when this is standing, it should actually be a pretty fun competitive fight. But um, when Anderson is taking on people on the feet, as long as they're not elite strikers that can take her best shot or just have really good defense and can pick their moments to, to, to strike like, you know, a Holly Holm did, um, then I think Anderson should roll. Um, you know, Farron, she's a capable striker, but she's not like a world-class elite striker. So I don't think that, uh, it will really come into play that much. I think Anderson's going to be aggressive. She's going to push forward. I think, uh, she's going to connect with some big shots. And I think very possible that Anderson, uh, gets a, a stoppage victory on the feet. Um, it's also possible, as Nick mentioned, that this does go to the ground and it's Anderson actually taking it to the ground. Now, obviously the ground is not one of Anderson's strengths, but when she's in top position, she can actually do some damage. She's, she's taken fights to the floor before. Sometimes it wasn't the smartest move against a good grappler, but, uh, if she does take it to the floor against, uh, Farron, I think she should have a strong edge. Just getting top position and dropping some ground and pound. So. Uh, I think Anderson is going to just be the, the bigger, stronger uh, female fighter. And I think at some point that just overwhelms uh, Farron. And I expect Anderson to either get a decision victory or a stoppage victory. So Anderson's going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Brad Riddell, who is 6-1, taking on Jamie Malarkey, who is 12-2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Riddell open minus 135, the comeback on Malarkey at minus 105. Currently looking over at BetDSI, we are seeing Riddell minus 175, the comeback on Malarkey at plus 144. So a little bit more action coming in in Riddell's way. Again, line margins tighten up a little bit. Man, this is another good fight. I mean, I understand it. I understand why the action's coming in on Riddell a little bit as well. I mean, you basically kind of have a striker versus striker matchup. Even though Malarkey, I think, is a little bit ahead in the MMA game right now as far as pure MMA skill because Riddle, Riddell, I should say, um, is more of your kickboxing stylist, of course. Uh, he's got some phenomenal kickboxing, clean striking technique, power, um, diverse striking attacks, so everything you would expect, especially a guy that trains at City Kickboxing without Asanya and crew as well. So Riddell is definitely, 
a very accomplished kickboxer, and he's capable of doing some damage here against Malarkey. And that's why Malarkey, again, I think he's going to be game in this fight, and he knows what to expect here. So I think he might want to mix things up and probably look for takedowns here. Uh, he does have the more complete overall game. He is ahead of Riddell on the ground for sure. Uh, he does have some decent takedown ability. And, um, and once he gets the fight to the floor, he's capable of doing some damage. He has some good ground and pound, looks for submissions as well. And and again, that's where he's going to have the edge. On the feet, he has some length. He's not a bad boxer. He's got some clean technique. He could do some damage there as well. So this is going to be a good fight. Both these guys like to stand and bang, but I think it's Malarkey going to be the one wanting to take this to the floor. So if Riddell has not improved that ground game in his takedown defense, this could be a, a kind of a bad matchup for him here. But that said, I think he's going to be ready. I think he's going to be prepared. Again, these the city kickboxing guys are rounding out their game big time. I mean, they're putting a lot of work in on their takedown defense, of course, and on their ground game. So I think he's going to be able to kind of stifle Malarkey, keep this fight upright enough to do enough damage to get the win here, either, either on the cards or possibly late finish as it goes. So my pick is Riddell. At the current price, though, with too many question marks still surrounding this fight, I would not lay it, though. I would probably step away, or right now there might be a little bit of value that actually popped his head out of Malarkey. So kind of check it out and, and see what you guys think for yourselves, but it's a tough one for me to bet, honestly. Yeah, this is actually... uh Oh, should be a fun fight. I mean, Malarkey is a guy that has uh, some pretty good boxing ability. His, his wrestling isn't that bad. It should actually be a little bit better than uh, Riddell's. But my main issue is, you know, Riddell comes from a very strong kickboxing gym. It's actually, yeah, as Nick mentioned, I think the gym that produced Adesanya. So, you know, this is a guy with some serious striking credentials. And Riddell also has fought at 170 pounds while Malarkey has fought at 145. So this is another one of those types of fights where you just have a guy that's physically a little bit bigger and stronger. Uh, and I would say Riddell is more skilled in the striking department. So unless Malarkey's able to drag this to the floor and get something done, I think it's only a matter of time until, uh, Riddell finishes Malarkey on the feet. So, uh, Brad Riddell is going to be my pick. I think he gets the job done. I think he wins by stoppage. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have Callan Potter, who is 17 and 8, taking on Maki Patolo, who is 11 and 4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Patolo open minus 195, the comeback on Potter plus 155. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Patolo minus 323, the comeback on Potter plus 257. So needless to say, everybody coming in on Patolo, not surprised. I mean, Potter really not as bad as everybody kind of making him out to be, especially since he got destroyed, of course, in his UFC debut. I mean, Turner can do that to people, though. So I think that, you know, Potter, the type of fighter he is, Really not surprising, especially after the fact, of course. That said, this is a little bit of a different matchup, but I think we might see the same result, unfortunately, for Potter. Now, he's a very solid journeyman. I don't want to disrespect him again like most people are, even at the betting window. Uh, I think he's he reminds me of one of those just savvy vets that does have a, a pretty decent, well-rounded game. Um, he can surprise you a little bit on the feet sometimes, but he is a little slow and predictable, and that's a problem. But he does have a solid ground game. He looks for takedowns, and he has the ability to finish the fight on the floor. And he's got that experience. He's got some toughness about him. Again, I mean, if, if he's going to get out there 
Patolo is going to just, you know, possibly light him up in the first few exchanges. I could see that happening as well because he is a bit chainy at times and, you know, he, he can't absorb punishment all that great, but he does kind of still have some toughness if, if that makes sense about him. So Potter is not a quitter. It's just, you know, sometimes he's just outgunned, put it that way. That said, I think that's going to be the case here against Patolo. I think Patolo has looked great, obviously, on the contender series. Uh, he displayed a little bit of what he could do there. I mean, those body shots were just wicked. Um, the guy has some nasty striking. He's going to want to keep this fight probably upright or in top position if it does go to the ground and just do some damage. So he's a younger fighter. I mean, it's all kind of, in my opinion, even though Potter's more of the hometown guy at this spot here, I think it's still written a little bit more for Pertola to win this fight. And I think he is probably going to get it done and by finish, probably a highlight reel finish. So he's going to keep on opening eyes for the time being until he's matched a little bit differently, I think, in this spot. Now, where it is now. Again, at three to one, I mean, from the opener shooting up that that far, I think you guys got to kind of take it easy a little bit because maybe we are all underestimating Potter's game. And he might show up here, and if he can kind of withstand the early onslaught, at least from Patolo, it might get interesting. So my pick is Patolo. I understand why everybody came in that way, and I would be surprised if he loses this fight. And I'm right with you. Uh, Potter is a guy with a, a solid ground game, and that's how he wins this fight, honestly. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, this is a guy with a strong grappling skill. The problem is he just does not have very good striking defense, and his chin isn't that good. Um, you saw it happen in uh, the Jalen Turner fight. I mean, he got obliterated by Jalen Turner in less than a minute. And uh, Patolo's a guy that is really dangerous. I mean, this guy comes in here with strong striking credentials, good power, um, and on his fight in uh, the Contender Series, he won in 97 seconds by knockout. Um, and that was at middleweight, so he's actually dropping back down to 170 pounds. So, uh, you know, Patolo's a guy that I think is extremely dangerous here, and Unless Potter can get him on the ground and put him on his back immediately, I think we're going to see a repeat of history. Um, Patolo is just too strong, too powerful, and Potter has too many holes in his striking defense that if this stays standing for more than two minutes, I would be shocked if it doesn't end. So, uh, obviously, Potter could uh, completely... Uh, change and, and look amazing and drag this to the floor and get a submission or write out a decision with a whole bunch of takedowns over the course of three rounds and make us look stupid. But just based on what we've seen so far, uh, you know, Patolo should be able to get, uh, the big strikes landed. And I think it's only a matter of time until he gets the knockout. So Patolo is going to be my pick. I think he wins by first round knockout. Now, moving on to the main event of the preliminary card, also in the welterweight division, we have Jake Matthews, who is 14 and 4, taking on Rostam Achman, who is 6 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Matthews open minus 265, Achman plus 185. Right now over at BetDSI, it's Matthews minus 370, the comeback in Achman plus 287. Not surprised. Matthews by far the more popular fighter. He is the one that is kind of supposed to be on the rise for, for a long time now. I mean, he's, he's kind of the future of the division. Uh, we all, I mean, expect that and, and kind of know that based on his talent, based on his skill set. The guy is a very extremely talented fighter. Um, and he does get better. Now he, he has a setback, obviously, in his last fight. I mean, he kind of came back to reality as well. But before that, man, he had some outstanding wins. I mean, he's, he's looking really good, settled in at 170 pounds. Um, I think it is probably the weight, right weight class. I know he could, he, if he wanted to, you know, 
make it tough on himself, he could probably drop back down. But as he grows into his frame and gets stronger and matures, obviously, as he gets older, I think that's the right move for him. So he's going to only get better, only get stronger, and only get a little bit more natural. Now, with that ability that he has, he has underrated boxing on the feet. Uh, definitely has decent kicks to throw at you as well clinch game to go along with it and of course he's got those wrestling i think the wrestling in, in his ground game is a bit underrated still at this point so i mean he has it all really but he does make some mistakes on the ground at times his fight iq is still a head scratcher at times as well he's hittable i mean that's a problem uh, of course a lot of these fighters are i mean that's kind of a given but uh, at times his defense you would you kind of want to see him do a little bit better put it that way and ackman is a guy that you can't take lightly i mean this guy definitely has a lot of power and that's kind of his path to victory here really is keeping this fight upright making it just a dirty brawl and and just starting to slug away because he has enough power that he could possibly connect and now he's not a sloppy fighter so don't get me wrong but i think that's where he's going to probably want to win this with this fight is uh, on the feet and exchanging with matthews because matthews has a, a bigger edge for sure on the ground here um i think matthews can actually do some damage and maybe catch Ackman on the feet. Ackman's defense at times, he's hittable, he's been dropped. I mean, so there is the ways to get him on the feet as well. But once he does get hurt, I think I could see Matthews kind of pouncing and, and finishing his fight. So I would be surprised if Ackman gets it done, especially against a guy in this spot here that's looking for a bounce back. And, and like I said, the sky's the limit for Matthews. I mean, we are all expecting really good things from this guy. So if Ackman comes in and pulls off the upset, it would be a little disappointing and shock, shocking at this point of his career. So I don't think Ackman gets it done. But again, where the line is now, you got to respect the guy because on the feet, he could possibly do some damage and catch Matthews. So that said, I still th- think Matthews kind of gets the job done here and wins inside the distance before he hits a scorecard. So I can see Matthews finishing this fight. The pick is Matthews for me. Yeah, and, and I'm on Matthews too. Uh, you know, this is just a kid out of Australia that has always felt like the next big thing. He just hasn't quite turned that corner yet, but he's getting closer and closer. Uh, he's been in there against some really, really talented fighters over the course of his career, and, and he's taken his lumps, but uh, Matthews is a fighter that uh, on the feet, he's shown some serious improvements. I think his striking has uh, really gone to the next level. And uh, obviously, when he can get top position on the ground, he is very dangerous with ground and pound. Uh, he's still obviously vulnerable to a few things. I think he can be a little chinny at times, although I think that that has improved with his move up to welterweight, not cu- t- taking such a horrific weight cut but when he was uh, cutting to, to lightweight. And... uh Obviously, he still can uh, be tapped out if he makes some mistakes on the ground. Even though he is a strong wrestler, uh, his submission defense still has a little bit of work uh, in progress. But uh, I, I do like what I've seen in his development. And uh, Ackman is a dangerous fighter. You know, this is a guy that, while Matthews is definitely the more known commodity and has fought in the UFC significantly longer, uh, Ackman is a fighter that has uh, some strong striking credentials. He's well-rounded. Um, and, and he was actually looking pretty good in his UFC debut on short notice against uh, Sergey Kandosko last June um, until he got uh, you know hurt in the second round of that fight. So, you know, this is a guy that you cannot sleep on. So, uh, you know, if Jake Matthews is taking him seriously, I think he should win. But, I mean, if he's coming in here thinking that, you know, he, that this is a gimme fight, he could definitely be in for an eye-opening experience. So um, I, I, I think that Matthews, as long as he mixes it up, uh, does throw in a few takedowns just to keep Ackman guessing. Uh, that should open up the striking as well. So, 
yeah, I, I think Matthews gets the job done here. I think he takes the decision, but uh, he just has to be careful because if he makes a mistake, Ackman could finish him. But uh, I do think that Matthews' power could also be a factor here as well. He might be able to, to do some damage against Ackman as well, potentially take him out if he can connect with something nasty. So my pick is going to be Jake Matthews. Now moving on to the pay-per-view main card. In the heavyweight division, we have Jorgen DeCastro, who is 5-0, taking on Justin Taffa, who is 3-0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? DeCastro, minus 170, the comeback on Taffa, plus 130. That was the opening line. Immediately got bet down, and right now we're seeing Taffa, the favorite, minus 125, DeCastro, plus 104. Poor DeCastro. The guy doesn't get any respect. Even on the contender series, he got bet up to a huge, huge underdog, and, and the guy ended up pulling off one of the best upsets of the year. So, man, don't count this guy out if you haven't learned already just watching him against Alton Meeks on the contender series show. I believe he opened minus 300, and he closed around 10 to 1 or so, if I'm not mistaken. So um, around 8 to 1, 10 to 1. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So that's crazy, but... He got it done, and he showed some toughness, showed some nasty leg kicks. I mean, he he definitely is a force to be reckoned with on the feet. You can't take him lightly. That said, Tafa is another one of these guys that has a lot of power. Obviously, he's a striking-based fighter. You know, the fighting's in his blood, training with all those guys, uh, the Aussie crew, uh, with Tuivasa, the Tafas, all that stuff. So, I mean, Mark Hunt, of course. So these guys have a lot of good stuff going for them, and this is going to be a striker versus striker matchup, and these guys both have big power. So to me, man... It's hard to pick a clear winner. In fact, I like a little bit the side of DeCastro because from what we've seen of Tafa at this point, I think he's still a little bit less developed at this stage. I mean, I've seen him in some bad spots on the ground thus far. I mean, he, obviously he wants to get top position and he's done some good things on the ground from top. Um, but both these guys have been put in some, you know, not so great positions. But I, I like what I see from DeCastro a little bit more. I think he's just a little bit more ahead of top at this point. I think if it's going to be a slugfest on the feet, I could realistically see it going either way. I think if it gets to the ground, top position could go to DeCastro. And if that's the case, I think that he might end up finishing Tafa on the ground as well. So there's just too much power and too much uh, liability here, too much still improving to be made on either side, but I slightly lean towards DeCastro here. So I actually think the opening line may be set a little bit too high, but I think it should be more of a pick fight towards DeCastro than Tafa at this point. So I'm going to lean slightly towards DeCastro. Yeah, this is the type of fight that can be tough to predict because uh, both guys are serious sluggers with a lot of power, um, and both guys uh, have their own flaws. So, and both guys coming into the UFC pretty early in their heavyweight careers at 5-0 and and 3-0 and respectively, um, especially Tafa. But, I mean, that's a guy that uh, the UFC definitely has some belief in. I mean, considering uh, the finishing ability that he possesses, plus, obviously, uh, he does have, uh, you know, that bloodline of dangerous strikers with uh, his older brother being, you know, a ranked kickboxer in glory. So... You know, this is a guy that can really do some damage. Um, but I, I was impressed with what I saw out of DeCastro. I think, yeah, he was a, a big underdog in that fight. And I just think people didn't take him seriously. But um, he mixes it up well. I mean, his kicking game is dangerous. I mean, he chopped his opponent down with leg kicks. And he could do that against Tafa as well. Uh, as long as he doesn't throw like, you know, those big naked leg kicks and leave his uh, chin exposed, 
Uh, I think he could really wear Tafa down with leg kicks. Uh, and that's his biggest edge here. He's going to be just a slightly bigger and longer than Tafa. And, uh, if, if he can utilize the kicks, I think he could really slow Tafa's down, Tafa down, take away his base, uh, for his punching. And, uh, DeCastro actually has a pretty good overhand right as well. So, uh, I definitely think like whoever lands that first real nasty shot to the face is going to get the win here. But I think DeCastro will set himself up to land that shot a little bit better with his kicking game. So uh, I'm going to side with DeCastro as well. Now, moving on to at the welterweight division, we have Luke Jumo, who is 13 and 13-4, taking on Diego Lima, who is 15-7. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Another flight kind of flying under the radar here in the Lima-Jumo fight. I mean, this is going to be a fantastic one. Lima opened minus 230 to come back on Jumo at plus 170. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Lima minus 141 to come back on Jumo plus 117. So all the people that hopped in on that opening line of plus 170, I think you got some great, great value. Obviously, line still hovering with just a slight edge towards Lima here in that spot. And that's kind of the way it should be. Um, so again, value on the opening number, I understand it. I would have bet it myself personally as well. Um, there's no way that that plus 170 should be hanging out there. Even if Lima goes out there and looks great and wins his fight, I mean, pre-fight, I think it's going to be a much closer fight. And, and where the line sitting here, here right now is uh, more accurate. In fact, I think it's still going to drop a little bit more um, because I think that this is a tough fight for Lima. I mean, it's almost... I understand that he's getting some respect back because I, I think he deserves it. I mean, the guy has some skill. There's no question who the better fighter is for me in this spot. It's by far Lima. Diego Lima is a talented fighter. I mean, he's got some good striking on the feet. Um, obviously, he's got a total complete game in his own right. I mean, he's very dangerous. He can submit you off his back. Uh, his wrestling's getting better as well. Training with his brother. I mean, you know, the Bellator champ. That I mean, legit as they come with Douglas Lima. We know that. So he's only going to get better. I mean, iron sharpens iron. In that situation, that's a definitely... Uh, you know, to be true for sure. But the problem with Diego Lima is he's been chinny throughout his whole career. He does have some cardio issues that glare themselves from time to time as well. So he has some problems in this fight. And I think that's why if he he's not controlling things early on against Jumo here, this fight could definitely get close and it could get dangerous for him as well. Because Jumo has that underrated power. He's got good striking, of course. He's getting better with his takedown defense and his ground game's improving as well. I think Jumo needs to avoid the ground here in Lima. Obviously, that's where he's going to have more success. But I think it probably will play out where it does stay up on the feet more so these guys are going to go back and forth i think that the little bit of length for lima definitely helps him um in this spot here but i think jumo is going to be counter punching back and hitting um his punches accurately so that could be a big problem for lima as well so i'm siding with jumo i think he's going to be able to pull off the upset here as the fight progresses a little bit as long as he doesn't get blown out of the water early on against lima i think if this fight hits round two and round three he's going to be the one probably swaying the cards in his favor because i think he could be trailing early on and he might start turning the complexion around of the fight around in round two, like I said, landing some hard shots, Lima starts slowing down. I could see it kind of going that way and Jumo kind of taking control and winning a close competitive decision. Or obviously there's a potential that he could possibly put Lima out and knock him out cold as well. So I think there's more value on Jumo than there is Lima if you're betting this fight, obviously as well. But again, I can understand Lima being the slight favorite. He is the better fighter here and he is again on a two fight winning streak and he needed to be on that streak. He needed to get some confidence back because before that it was definitely some tough, tough uh, times for Lima. So glad to see him back on track, but I think here it's another spot where if he's not careful, he's going to get beat and I'm going to pick Jumo to pull off the upset. 
Yeah, my main issue with Jumo is, you know, he hasn't fought in a little over a year and a half. Uh, Lima's been more active, and he's actually looked half decent. He's he's definitely had his struggles in the UFC. Lima has having to work his way back after uh, you know a pretty rough first run, but. Uh, he's now on a two-fight winning streak inside the octagon with wins over, you know, Chad LaPriest and Court McGee. And, uh, Luke Jumo is another guy that he should potentially be able to beat. I think, I think Lima is the more well-rounded fighter of the two. Um, I think on the feet, his striking is, uh, as good as, uh, Jumo's on the ground. Lima is clearly a very dangerous fighter on the canvas as well. So, uh, the main issue is Lima has a penchant for getting cracked. Uh, and he does slow down a little bit, as Nick mentioned, but the biggest issue is his chin. Uh, you know, that is a huge liability, and if he doesn't protect it, uh, Jumo could knock him out and have, you know, all the Australian fans going nuts, uh, because, the, you know, obviously that's where Jumo is, uh, you know, from that area. So, uh, I'm gonna side, though, I think, with Diego Lima, I just think being the more well-rounded fighter, the more active fighter, uh, Jumo's fought three times in the UFC so far, all to decision, um, and I just think that Lima is going to go out there and be the more aggressive fighter. I think Lima is going to look for takedowns. I think uh, Lima will be moving more. I think he'll be throwing more. And as long as that doesn't completely gas him out, then he should be in pretty good shape. So I think Lima gets the job done in hostile territory and walks away with a decision. So my pick is going to be Diego Lima. Now, moving back up to the heavyweight division, we have Tai Tuivasa, who is 10-2, taking on Sergey Spivak, who is 9-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Tuivasa opened minus 265, the comeback on Spivak at plus 185. Right now, you're seeing Tuivasa getting steamed up to minus 400, the comeback on Spivak. At plus 303. So needless to say, no belief in Spivak, especially after that beautiful debut that he had, just getting destroyed by Harris. I mean, unbelievable, honestly. I mean, that, that is not the debut that you want to see. I, I feel bad for the guy because honestly, Spivak is definitely a better fighter than he showed there. It just, I mean, I, I'm afraid we might see something similar again. I mean, obviously, Walt Harris is a little bit more explosive than Tuivasa, um, so I think it's a different type of fight here for sure. And I really think that Spivak is the better, more complete fighter than Tuivasa as well. I mean, he definitely de- definitely has more of an overall mixed martial arts game. He's got the better ground game, uh, especially over Tuivasa. I mean, that's the advantage he has the most. But the problem is his wrestling, I don't think, is good enough to get it down to the ground. Um, his trips, probably not going to work either. So it's going to more than likely stay on the feet. And even though Spivak does have some decent technique and some length, and he has the ability to throw some decent kicks, so Tuivasa has to be careful. I mean, at this level, you never know. But the problem with me is Spivak is just so predictable. I mean, Tuivasa should be able to close that gap, get inside, and just you know drop some bombs and probably make this an ugly, quick fight uh, for him. I mean, good for him, obviously, and ugly for Spivak. So I think that's probably the way it's going to play out here. Um, I just think that more than anything else – this is one of the uh, little parlays. We do a, a parlay on the show for the UFC on the line, and this was kind of a parlay piece, not going the distance uh, for this fight. I, I just think it's a no-brainer. It was hovering around minus 400, 445, somewhere around there, and I think this fight is not going to go the distance. Either is the Tafa DeCastro fight. I mean, these two heavyweight fights, for sure, if you're looking to throw some uh, in parlays there. I mean, if it's still around 400, I'm not looking at the current line, but again, those are two pieces of a parlay that I think you could throw in there that I think should cash more times than not, obviously, because I think there's just too much 
firepower on both ends. There's too many um, weak strike defenses and, and just disadvantages for each fighter in this in this spot here as well. They're going to be able to hurt each other, and I mean they're just not defensively sound enough to withstand. I think either. So that said. I'm going to pick Tuivasa to, to destroy Spivak again and, and get the job done. I won't waste any more time here. But again, I don't think this fight goes a distance. And that's why it's a little bit safer because this is a heavyweight fight in, in case Spivak does end up catching uh, Tuivasa with something crazy or maybe somehow getting it to the floor and, and finishing Tuivasa on the ground, then you're a little bit covered. But I don't think it's going to happen. Obviously, Tuivasa should roll here. And I'm right with you. Uh, Spivak got exposed in that UFC debut. I mean, he just got completely overwhelmed by Walt Harris, who just pressed forward through combinations until Spivak dropped to the ground and then just started pounding on him until the fight got stopped. Um, and Taito Ivasa is like Walt Harris to the nth degree in terms of aggression. Uh, you know, this is a guy that just loves to push forward and throw bombs. Uh, but what I actually was really impressed with, even though Tuivasa is on a two-fight losing streak, in his most recent loss to uh, Blagoy Ivanov, he showed some serious technical improvements in his striking. Um, he was fainting a little bit. He was setting up some strikes. Um, he was he was doing a lot of little things that he'd never really done before. So it seemed like he'd learned his lesson from his over-eagerness against Junior Dos Santos. Um, it just wasn't quite enough. You know, you just can't quite make that drastic of a change in one fight. But, you know, this is definitely a guy that's taking his MMA career seriously and adding some new uh, tweaks to his game. So, you know, I was actually really impressed with what I saw. And now that the UFC is kind of throwing a guy in there in Spivak, uh, I expect Tuivasa's uh, new uh, tweaks to his game to really stand out here. I think that he absolutely obliterates Spivak. I think he presses forward. He sets up a few strikes instead of just winging haymakers. And I think it's a first-round knockout for uh, Tuivasa, whether he just backs Spivak up to the fence and smashes him or potentially uh, just takes him down and starts grounding and pounding. So my pick is going to be Tuivasa. Now moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Al Iaquinta, who is 14-5-1, taking on Daniel Hooker, who is 18-8. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Iaquinta opened minus 130, the comeback on Hooker minus 110. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is currently Hooker minus 169, the comeback on Iaquinta plus 141. So needless to say, I was a little upset seeing the line flip. Uh, those of you guys that, again, listened to UFC on the line kind of heard why. Disappointing. I thought a lot of people would definitely give more respect to Iaquinta in this spot, and I would get a better number on Hooker. I mean, stylistically, I think this is a tough fight for Al. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I understand he's one of the best lightweights, and he has been for a while now. I mean, he's been under the radar. So that Khabib performance, for me, wasn't even a shocker. I mean, he deserved to get that respect. And even within a loss, that's how well he performed in that fight. So Iaquinta's been one of the best for a while. I mean, again, another complete fighter overall. Tough as nails. Hard to finish overall. Um, he has that ground game to go along with, of course, meaning the wrestling more so than anything else, to go along with some decent boxing. He's able to get it done on the feet as well. So Iaquinta, game, tough as nails, tough out. But the problem with me for Ally Quinta is at times, I mean, defensively, there is a concern. He gets busted up on the feet a little bit, and I think Hooker's going to present a lot of problems. And from what we've seen recently from Hooker, the way he's been fighting, he's been going after it. I mean, he's got that killer instinct. He's going to have some length over Iaquinta as well. He's going to have some power. I, again, I think he's going to be able to get through and do some damage. Now, of course, Iaquinta hits like a truck in, in his own right. He's got some underrated power. And Hooker defensively, 
is a liability at times. We've seen him just, you know, want to trade that Barboza fight. That wasn't something that you want to show defensively for fighters that are up and comers for sure. That not a good look there. But I mean, Hooker shows a lot of durability in that spot, despite, I mean, eventually, of course, it didn't go so well for him. But that said, um, he, he kind of has that in him that he will get in firefights. So hopefully um, that's not the case here with Iquinta because Iquinta, again, even though he'll get marked up and he'll get beat up a little bit, Iquinta's game, man. I mean, he'll be in a firefight and he'll slug it out with Hooker as well. So, But I think there's more to that than just a firefight we're going to see. I think Iquinta might look to take this to the floor, and he does definitely has a wrestling advantage in this spot. Um, he should get top position at least. Hooker's improving that all the time, though, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's even a lot closer uh, than we all anticipate. But I think the bottom line on the ground is that Hooker is slick with his chokes. And I think Iquinta, the sub defense has been pretty solid now. We haven't seen it kind of glare it's, itself. Um, and that was an issue in the past. But, you know, I think people are forgetting about it. I mean, Iquinta does have some fight IQ moments on the ground at times. And with a fighter like Dan Hooker, Hooker goes after it. I mean, if he gets a, he gets a chance to get your limb, um, an arm, a leg, or around your neck, he's going to take it. So I think Hooker is going to be dangerous for Iquinta on the ground. I think Hooker is going to be dangerous for him on the feet as well. He's got that chip on his shoulder right now that he's fighting with. So I think this is a great time for him to step in here and get a quality win over Iquinta. And I think he does probably get it done. And not just that, I think he probably finishes out. And I know that's crazy because, again, the durability and the toughness of Al Iquinta is definitely – there to see for all of us, but I think this is a crazy matchup and I think we're going to see fireworks and I think we're going to see hooker coming out on top. So my pick is hooker. If the line continues to drop, maybe worth a stab or you could take hooker inside the distance. I think there's a chance he does finish the fight. So the pick is hooker for me. And surprisingly, I'm right with you. I, I feel like ally Aquinta is vulnerable. Um, yes, he is ranked pretty highly in the lightweight division, but you know, Daniel Hooker is going to have some physical advantages here. Uh, Hooker has about five inches in reach. He's two inches taller. And even though he's moved up to the lightweight division from featherweight, he's, he's still a physical specimen. I mean, this guy's gone five and one in the lightweight division for a reason. He has nasty power. Um, he has what, what I think has impressed me the most is he's finished all five of his wins since moving up to lightweight. I mean, this is a guy that doesn't just win. He takes people out. Um, and he's done it with four knockouts and a submission. As Nick mentioned, the submission could actually be big here because Iaquinta is vulnerable on the ground. Uh, he does occasionally look for takedowns, but uh, he can be taken down. He can be submitted. Um, and I think what people underestimate is Iaquinta can be knocked out. I know it hasn't happened yet, but Jorge Masvidal had him in huge trouble. Even back on the Ultimate Fighter, uh, Miles Jury dropped him early in that fight. So... Uh, I feel like this is a, an opportunity for, for Dan Hooker. I mean, Dan Hooker is very dangerous fighter. This is a guy that has a lot to prove. And while Edson Barbosa was able to get the better of him pretty badly in that fight, showed off a huge technical advantage against him. And I do think that Ally Quinta does have a technical edge in terms of pure boxing. Uh, technical boxing, it's not even close to the level of what Barbosa has. Like Barbosa mixes it up with his hands and his feet and was just piecing up Hooker. But with Hooker's physical edge in terms of, uh, the, the reach and everything else, I just don't think that, uh, Iaquinta's technical boxing is going to be enough, uh, to really put him over the top on the feet. I think Hooker's power is going to be a big part here. They can't just be trading blow for blow because I think Iaquinta is going to get be the one that goes down first. And I just don't see 
Iaquinta darting in and out and fainting and, and playing with uh, Hooker and making him look silly over the course of three rounds. I just don't think that he has that much, that enough of that to his game. I think he's a little overrated at this point, uh, based on a, a couple wins that, you know, weren't even that impressive. So, um, I feel like, uh, this is a prime opportunity for Daniel Hooker to get possibly one of the bigger wins of his career. So, uh, yeah, uh, Ally Quint is dangerous, but you know, this is, this is definitely a guy that I feel, uh, might be rated a little higher than he currently deserves. So, uh, Daniel Hooker is going to be my pick. I think that he actually does get the job done. He might even finish Ally Quinta, whether it's TKO or submission. Now, moving on to the main event of the evening for the UFC middleweight championship, we have Robert Whitaker, who is 20 and 4, taking on Israel Adesanya, who is 17 and 0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shipped things so far? Opening odds, Whitaker minus 185, Adesanya plus 160, and right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI, currently a pick of minus 111, Adesanya minus 109, Whitaker minus 110 on the Donbass screen as well. Um, across there, there's minus 115s for Adesanya. So basically what I'm saying across the market, you're going to see a pick em type of fight with Whitaker and Adesanya. And I think we're going to continue to see action come in on Whitaker and flipping the line his way. We're going to continue to see action coming in on Adesanya, flipping the line a little bit that way. So honestly, if we just leave it right down the middle, minus 110, minus 115 in most spots, I think you're going to be okay because the books are getting a ton of action on both guys. There's going to be a lot of sharp action coming in on both sides of this as well. A lot of decent opinions are going to be on both sides. So you got to respect it. And this is going to be fireworks. This is one of the most anticipated main events of the year by far, I think, because you have two quality, quality fighters stepping in and it's more of a striking affair than it is anything else. And again, I'm saying that because I know Whitaker is the more complete fighter. He's got that wrestling in his back pocket that he probably should should and will try to pull out and use against Adesanya here. Adesanya, though, has been getting better. I mean, for being obviously more of the striking-based fighter, we've seen flashes of his ground game. His takedown defense continues to improve in his own right. So there's a lot to like about the improvement that he made. Again, this is a fight that we covered on UFC on the line, so I urge you guys to go check that out on UFC Fight Pass. There's even a clip that Dana White tweeted out on this fight from us, and it kind of tells you how I feel about this fight. Um, that's why I'm even bringing it up. And, and a lot of it has to do with Whitaker's kind of time off, his surgery, um, those real Romero fights, both of them. I mean, there were wars that he was in and then the recovery. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about Whitaker. I mean, I know he's a quality fighter and he's been through adversity many times throughout his career, but this is a different spot. I mean, he's facing, I think, a guy on the rise and not a sign that has been getting better fight by fight, that is actually putting everything together. His, his confidence is at an all-time high and you're coming in from those brutal wars with Romero off a layoff, off surgery, uh, mentally not sure where it's at. So there's a lot of strikes going against Whitaker here. It might not matter when it comes fight time, and then sometimes adversity like that kind of makes you fight better. So, you know, maybe that uh, none of that stuff will matter when it comes down to it. But I just think that things are not looking right for Whitaker at this point right here. And if it's going to be a pick em type of fight, exactly a pick em, I think it's wrong. I think the slight edge does belong to Adesanya because I think he's a little bit more technical in this spot. I think he obviously has the striking – 
um, advantage when it comes to length in this spot as well. Um, now, again, Whitaker has faced that adversity in the past, and he's done okay with that. But I think the, the mixture of everything, and we could compare back, a lot of people will, and I think it's accurately and fair to do so with the Stephen Thompson fight for Whitaker back in welterweight. You know, he fought a, an outstanding technical striker like Stephen Thompson, and he ended up getting knocked out. Sometimes it's not always those big power punchers that get it done. It's the guys that are like Adesanya, like Stephen Thompson, that might not have that one-punch knockout power, but have that precision and that accuracy to get it done. So I think that's what you're going to see with Adesanya. Whitaker, on the other hand, he's more than capable of ending anybody at 185 pounds. We've seen that. I mean, he's got crazy knockout power in his own right. So can he land and put Adesanya out? Absolutely. I mean, that's a dangerous part about this fight as well. Whitaker has the power. He could close that gap, get inside, and maybe start you know, landing some hard punches, and Adesanya might not be able to take it. From what we've seen, I think he's okay, and I think he'll be able to kind of roll with the punches and absorb most of what Whitaker's able to take. But any clean shot from either guy, I'll tell you what, could end it. So that's why this is an awesome fight. That's why it's an interesting fight, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. But for me, I think it's Adesanya or pass, especially at a pick on price. I think the advantages lie in his favor. So from what I've seen, I like it. And at around a pick him, like I said, you kind of got to have to go his way, in my opinion. So that's the way I'm leaning. I'm going to pick Adesanya to win. And more than likely, I think he does probably get it done inside the distance. Yeah, and I like Adesanya too. I mean, clearly this is an amazing fight. And either guy could win if they land that right shot. But uh, what I like about Adesanya is that just elite level striking that he possesses. And we haven't seen Whitaker really take on somebody with the striking credentials of Adesanya since he fought Stephen Thompson in one of his last fights at, uh, in the welterweight division. And if you remember how that fight went, Whitaker got embarrassed. I mean, Thompson just destroyed him and ended up, uh, stopping him with strikes actually. So, uh, this could bring back some bad memories for Whitaker. I mean, Adesanya even has a similar body type, uh, you know, that, to, to Thompson. Uh, not quite the same striking style with Thompson being more a karate guy, but just a really unique, long, lanky, uh, dangerous striker. So, uh, you know, this, this really is a, a very, very compelling matchup because in terms of, you know, one punch knockout power, yes, I favor Whitaker. Um, I, I would also favor Whitaker in terms of, you know, kind of the, the, the heart, the, the conditioning. You know, this is a guy that puts just incredible amount of effort into his training and has a lot of belief in himself. I mean, we've seen him overcome, uh, you know, getting hit really hard with some nasty shots by, uh, Yoel Romero and then to, to bounce back and then, uh, just keep plugging away and, outpointing him over the course of five rounds to, to win those thrilling decisions in some fights that he took some serious damage. But as Nick mentioned, um, Whitaker has taken a lot of damage, not just during fights, but also, uh, in terms of having to, to have surgeries. The, the, the most recent one was, you know, very late notice and ended up uh, costing him an opportunity to defend his belt on the week of the fight. So with that hernia, so, you know, this is a, this is a Robert Whitaker that has been slowed down a little bit with, uh, you know, just in terms of his physical body. And that is a concern because if he slowed down even a little bit, that he could be in some trouble because I know Whitaker's chin and everything has, has looked better since he moved up to middleweight. He wasn't getting rocked or hurt, uh, or knocked out in the middleweight division, but we did see him take a lot of damage in the Romero fight. And I think Adesanya could definitely repeat that because uh, typically it's those strikes that you don't see coming 
that knock you out and Adesanya has the ability with all these incredible feints that he does to set up his striking attacks to throw that strike that Whitaker does not see coming. So uh, Whitaker does have, you know, some very good boxing skill as well. I mean, he is a tremendous striker. There's a reason he's the champ. Uh, there's a reason that he had that meteoric rise after moving up to the middleweight division, beating the who's who in the division. But I really do think that Adesanya's style might be too much for him. You know, Adesanya's going to have seven inches in reach. He's four inches taller. Uh, this is a guy that really presents a lot of physical uh, issues and technical issues for Robert Whitaker. So I think Israel Adesanya walks out of here as the UFC middleweight champion, and I think he does it by knockout in the third or fourth round. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC 243. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOB Premium on Twitter because that's where we'll post it first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOddsBreaker.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Special thanks to BetDSI. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.